morning, church. You know, it's pretty awesome uh, to be a pastor when you walk in a room and the first thing you feel like you need to say is, y'all need to calm down just a little bit, all right? What a great thing to walk into. Uh, makes my heart so, so happy. Do me a favor, take out your Bibles and fir- turn to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 12. Um, there's a lady in Dripping Springs. Every time I'm leaving there on my way here, she hands me two dozen eggs from her chicken coop, organic, non-caged, throw in all the stuff that you like. Uh, but uh, it's from her particular, and she gives it for me every Sunday. And so uh, my, my son's at that age when he really needs protein, and so I'm just like loading him up, you know, uh, loading him up with eggs all week. And uh, he loves it. I love it. So I got the eggs in the seat next to me driving up here. I have my Bible with his notes on top, and I do it every Sunday. And I'm clipping along behind this, you know, two cars, three cars behind this Ford F-150. And for some reason, I don't even know what was in front of him, but he hits the brakes right in front of me. And I see him swerve like this. And, of course, I'm, you know, coming up on him fast, so I have to hit the brakes and all the eggs, man. (laughs) So they're cooking real good in the car right now. Uh, I just thought I'd share that with you in my little funny moment this morning. Them eggs are gone, I think. I don't know. I'll have to check them later. But uh, anyway, yeah, amen. One of the uh, things I want you to know about while you're turning there, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, one thing I want to let you know about today, Butick Kyle Campus, if you're a part of that launch, we want you at the barbecue. I got here this morning at 6 o'clock, still dark, not a soul on the street. And there's Jack smoking barbecue for those people today. And all I, all I said was, man, Jack, you're awesome, bro. I mean, that is unbelievable. I don't know how you do it, but he does, and he loves you all. But anyway, we're having this barbecue out there at the park, the Buda City Park. Is that right, Harley? Buda City Park. It's going to be a great time together. And the reason I share that with you is if you're a part of that launch, we want you there. We need you there. There's a whole lot of things that are going to come from this event uh, moving forward to the launch in September. So please make sure you be there. Bring a friend with you, anybody that's hungry, all right? That would be awesome. We'd love to have them there. Um, but also, some of you, you can't make it, but maybe you know someone that lives in Budica. Maybe they're looking for a church. They maybe they'd like to be a part of a church launch. Help us pass the word to them. Text them and tell them just be there at 5 um, they're going to have some, some games for the kids and stuff like that. Pastor Harley's going to be leading out and talking to the folks about rally, really rallying together and starting a rhythm from this point on all the way up until the launch in September. So um, so please help us out with that. Help us out. Spread the word. Invite a friend. Be there. Uh, we'd love to have you, okay? All right. So we started um, the Uncomfortable series last week, and I say that kind of funny, haha. It's not an adjective series. It's a, uh, a series about uncomfortable, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, I've made, I feel like I made you uncomfortable last week, and, and I felt uncomfortable making you feel uncomfortable. Uh, so I wanted to go home that night, have a comfortable evening with my family, and watch the Oscars. And what I say, I felt more uncomfortable than I ever have watching any award show. And let me tell you, there's plenty that happens on award shows that make me very uncomfortable all the time, right? Um, anyway, you know I had to mention it, right? Let's move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Let's, let's uh, meditate upon the Word of God. Ask the Spirit to speak to us personally. Verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 
To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary... Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, commit this time to you, and we have separated this time from the common themes. Um. You have our total focus in our hearts. We open our hearts, we open your word, and Holy Spirit, we just ask that you administer to us right now in a personal way. Make us what you want us to be. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week, we began this series of Uncomfortable talking about how we are, as Americans, prone to pursue comfort at a really high level. Um, and expect comforts at a really high level in our country. And sometimes we can pursue those comforts to the degree that it really destroys um, things that would bring about great comfort in our life. Like when parents make the goal of their children and all of their parenting their child's comfort. Well, if you do that, you're probably going to produce a spoiled brat. You know, we talked about that last week. And in fact, that child, if comfort is the main goal in their life for their parents, they're probably not going to enjoy the greatest comforts life has to offer. They're going to be starved of those because comfort was the goal. 
Well, similarly, Christianity is not primarily about comforts. Uh, Christianity is about Christ that brings rewards and comforts as we pursue Him. Another analogy we can think of about is, I was watching uh, Duke play North Carolina last night. I don't know if you were watching that. Final Four, historic game. I mean, it's awesome. Um, but let's just say a, a player wanted to sign up to be a Duke basketball player. He got accepted, got a scholarship, and he says, I'm gonna, I want to be a Duke basketball player. Only one condition, just don't make me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, you're like, what? That's so even odd. Like, you don't do, you, you sign up to be a Duke basketball player to get all the rewards of being a Duke basketball player, and you don't ask for comforts because you know from the very get-go all the way to the end, you're going to be constantly pulled through uncomfortable things because you're part of it, but you get the rewards, right? You don't factor in your comforts at a high level when you're wanting to be a Duke basketball player and get the rewards of being a Duke basketball player. Does that make sense? It's like don't even bring comfort into the paradigm because if you make comfort the issue, you're going to quit, or if you make comfort the issue, you can't get the rewards because comfort can't be the issue. Same thing is true in the church of Christ. When you approach the body of Christ, when you approach your involvement in church, when you approach following Christ among his people and being a part of the family of God, you don't factor comforts. You factor Christ and the rewards that come from Christ and the comforts from Christ that come into our lives. But if comfort is a factor, you won't even pass step one. In fact, if comforts is your goal and not Christ, you don't even get the rewards of all of it. Um, and this is the idea I'm pushing against in this series. As, you know, as Americans, maybe we've thought about this in terms of prioritizing our comforts above things that are really valuable, that might be stealing some things from us. So last week we, we said this, that if you shoot for comfort, you get nothing. If you shoot for Christ, you get all of his rewards and his comforts. But it's a very uncomfortable process. Well, this week we continue with that premise that not only is the first call of Christ uncomfortable, handing over and relinquishing the agenda of your life to Him as Lord, that's the most uncomfortable thing a human being can do is to hand over the agenda of their life to another person and say, I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. I'm not even making calls for my own life. You are, Lord Jesus. Well, one of the first things that Jesus is going to do in your life is bring you into his family, his spiritual family called the church, the local church. And Paul wants us to see that the church, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, and by the way, if you ever want to be just encouraged about your church, read Corinthians. They will make you very happy about your situation, okay? Um, but we had to think about church in terms of the biblical idea of church and how what Christ's purpose for us in the church is, and I think that will help us shape um, our view and expectation of what we are getting out of church and what we're contributing to church. You see, church, Paul's saying, church is not just a place where people hang out and get some inspirational talking points for the week, right? Um, this is, that's not the idea of church biblically in the New Testament. Paul wants us to see that the church is very different than any other gathering or club or social construction in all of the earth. And it, it supersedes all types of structures culturally um, on the earth. And it's a glorious institution. It's owned by Christ himself who is the head. And 
governed by the Spirit of God uh, among us and in us. And it's supernatural. And so he got to thinking about this. And I got to thinking, I wonder if I could just put a statement down about what the church is, of all the things I know about the New Testament and studied and all that. And I said, let me just throw one together. Um, and there's probably more than this, but at least this, right? So let me, let me talk to you. Let me show you this, this statement about the church. The church is a mystical, su- uh, spiritual, supernatural, beautiful, diverse, organic yet organized organism that God uses to do his work in the world. Um, all of these adjectives start flooding in when you think about the church. It's a glorious, supernatural institution. It's God's family. Um, and to help us with the picture that he's trying to create, Paul is trying to create for the church, first to help us understand this. And by the way, um, Paul is giving us this one picture to help us know what it is so that we don't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about what it isn't and what we shouldn't be doing with it. He, he gives us this one picture to help us understand a lot of things that we don't have to talk about because when you understand this, it really solves a whole lot of other things. And that's what he's doing here. And so he wants to build a picture in our mind and he's trying to create this picture in our mind. And to do that, to, to understand the church, Paul uses the analogy of a physical body. Lots of parts all working together interconnectedly for the benefit of the whole body. And then when the whole body is benefited, it pulls back into benefits to each individual part. So a couple of things he emphasizes here. Let me mention a couple. First, when each part does its part, all the other parts are benefited. When your hand does what your hand is supposed to do for the body, your hand is not the whole picture. Your hand is just a hand. It's not a body in itself. It's not a separate entity. It is part of the whole body. But yet your hand has to fulfill a function that no other parts in the body can fulfill. It is very important. And so when your hand does what it does, the whole body is benefited when it does what it is supposed to do according to the whole body. So when each part does its part, all the other parts are benefited. Make sense? There is a holistic thing that's supposed to take place. Each part has a part of it for the welfare of the whole. And then when the whole has experienced a welfare from all the parts doing the parts, all the parts are also therefore benefited by the wholeness of the whole. Did y'all get that? I don't think I did, but I hope y'all did. When one part doesn't fulfill its part, the whole body suffers. Y'all get this, right? Think about when your eye decides to take some time off, right? You can't see. The rest of the body suffers and struggles, right? Um, Well, it hurts all the other parts. When one part doesn't work properly or fully to to build up the body, um, the whole body suffers in some way because of the lack of one part doing what it was supposed to do and it hurts all the other parts just thinking about the hand yesterday i was removing some stone in my backyard with a hammer and a chisel and the hammer hit my hand three times in the same spot and you know the whole body suffers When the hand suffers, 
And then the mouth wants to come and get involved in it, right? And make you feel better. I didn't say anything bad. But the shouting helps, right? The mouth comes in and goes, I got this. Ah! So when one part suffers, all the parts suffer and seek to help the part that suffers. I got another hand that starts helping this hand. Ah, you know, and, and whatever, and put ice on it and all that sort of thing. Other parts come in and make up for the suffering of the one part, and the body works like this. So when we think about Paul's analogy here, and, and he's seeking to explain the similarities to the church, we can quickly see that if we really pursue what Paul is saying in the pathway of Christianity, then we're pursuing a strong, vibrant, involved, beneficial relationship with the community of faith, the local church. Every single believer in Jesus Christ, the pathway to following Christ is in the church and through the church. That is the pathway of Christianity, and there's not another pathway given to us in the New Testament. And so what he appears to be communicating in our passage today is this, though. As you know, you enter into this community of faith. Um, not only is that initial call, coming to salvation, uh, a very uncomfortable thing, but getting into this body and fulfilling a role and receiving the benefits of the body and giving and taking and, and, and that aspect of the body of Christ in the church, Paul is also saying this, that in itself is also a very uncomfortable pathway at times. Being a Christian and belonging to the Christian family and being a part of the spiritual family of God also has many, many discomforts associated with it. And if you make comforts your goal and not Christ the goal, the comforts will make you quit quick in the family of God. Or it'll make you... Um, have expectations that you shouldn't have in the family of God. In fact, the discomforts are actually purposeful for God that they be there so that we're a powerful witness in the world. I'll unpack that here in just a second. Why would Paul even give this analogy that the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you? Bring that into the church. It's an illustration like we don't even think about the head saying to the foot. They're one and the same. They can't say that to each other. But he's saying here's what the problem is. The problem is, is you have some people in the church looking at other people in the church saying, I don't need you. You got some people looking at the church as a whole saying, I don't need you. You got one person looking at another person who's hurt them in the church saying, I don't need you. You have people in the church for some reason looking at each other going, I don't need you. And he's saying, oh, yes, you do. What you're saying there is like the head saying to the foot, I don't need you. Why would a person or a group of people say to a person or a group of people in the church, I don't need you? What is it that would take place in the church that would make one part of the church say to another part of the church, I don't need you or we don't need you? What would happen in a person's life to make them think, I don't belong here? 
I'm, I'm not a hand, so therefore I don't fit here. What would make them have that reaction to say such a thing? Here it is. They ran into something that makes them uncomfortable. And their reaction to whatever it is that makes them uncomfortable makes them want to relieve the com- bring comfort by saying, we need to be rid of you. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just because you hit your hand, don't cut it off. You need the hand. <laughs> Why in the world are you saying that, that hand is hurting me? Cut it off now. That's what he's saying. In the church, we react like that to things that make us uncomfortable with each other. And don't dare question how dependent you are. And I'm preaching, I'm going ahead of myself. Let me back up. The discomforts of the Christian family, number one. I'm going to move fast in this, so follow quickly. The uncomfortable diversity. Paul says it applies to societal uh, structures that are brought into the church from cultures in the world, okay? Jew and Gentile. Can you imagine, have you ever been to Jerusalem? The rhythms, the habits, the customs, what they wear, what they eat, where they go, on what day they go, what button they can push on a certain day and what they can't do. There are so many customs that make a Jew comfortable in that context. And then you got these dog-smelly Gentiles and you got both of them in the church, in the New Testament. And don't think it wasn't without its friction. It was hard. Even Peter himself, an apostle of God, started going, yeah, the Gentiles. They're so Gentilian. You know what I mean? And he started creeping away and someone confronted him and said, hey, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. In Christ, we are one. And it feels uncomfortable, Peter, but it's the way of God. It's the family of God. One of the primary witnesses we have to the world is that we shatter all cultural structures that would divide us in here and we find great unity in Christ. One of our most powerful witnesses to the world of the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ is our incredible diversity and yet incredible unity and love we have for one another. Paul says... You got hands over here, you got feet over here, you got hair back there, you got eyeballs over here, you got all this part. All of you are neat, all of you are part of a diverse picture of God, and God would have it no other way. No other way. Uncomfortable diversity, but yet it is uh, it is uncomfortable. I mean, we're diverse even on the level of personality. Some of you introverts, you walk in and here comes that aggressive socialite. Giving you a full frontal hug, full embrace. And for you non-huggers, you're like, ah, keep out of my personal space. That's a clash. It happens. And what do you do? You, try, you choose another door to come in. Because they're over there, right? Find more comfort here, right? Uh, I mean, th- think about the passive socialite. The person, I come up and I say, hey, how you doing? They're looking down, hey, I'm good, I'm good. And they just, you know, do they don't like me? I mean, I guess they don't like me. I mean, look at me. Didn't, you know, I mean, you have some people that are just extreme introverts. You have that, all the, you have to know it alls. Can I get an amen? You got them. They're in every life group. And they got the answer. And they know. And they know it all. God has a, you know, God loves you. And I have a wonderful plan for your life. 
You know, that's what they, you, you got them. We got them. I mean, every one of us has a quirk. Just go ahead and accept it. You have a quirk. I've got quirks. And sometimes those quirks get together and it ain't fun, it ain't, it ain't fun right? It just starts sparking. The over-emotional Christian that does very uncomfortable things in uncomfortable ways. Why is she crying? And it makes you feel like you're somehow a spiritual Spock because I don't have emotion. Like, and I feel out of place because I must not know Jesus because they're much more on fire emotionally. And it makes you feel awkward maybe sometimes. That's just a couple that just came from the hip, Okay. But there's hundreds, there's thousands of these little things that happen in the body of Christ that display our diversity. And yet in the midst of all the diversity, what we have to do is to go, I honor the attributes you're bringing to the table. Even though it totally right rub me sometimes the wrong way or whatever it might be, I honor those diverse things. Because why? Because Christ is using all of us in all those ways. And if comfort's my highest goal, I miss a very important point from Jesus Christ himself in my life and in the church and what we're doing globally. All right, let me move on. Then there's an uncomfortable dependability. We're like dependent on one another. The Spirit doesn't gift one person with all the gifts. Notice what he says here. That the Spirit gives gifts every believer a particular gift. And in his own sovereign knowledge, he makes sure that yours is yours uh, like alone. Like you're a particular one. That other people have all these differing types of gifts, and all of us, as we contribute, we make the whole. In other words, like all of us get a piece of the puzzle. The Spirit makes sure of it. All of us get a piece of a puzzle. And all of us, as we contribute our piece, you can see the whole ministry of the Spirit. But you can't get the full ministry of the Spirit out of just you or one other person. It's coming from the body, engaging with us. We get the whole ministry of the Spirit as we experience the Spirit, use these per- this person in a particular way in this body. I get benefited from the Spirit ministering to me through other people. It's like all of us getting a musical instrument in here this morning. And we're all going to play some music together. And all of us have to play our individual music. And imagine that it's all musical instruments that are all different types. And everyone has a different type of musical instrument. And we all have an instrument. And as we begin to play that instrument, all of us are a part of a thing that's much bigger and greater than us. And what's the goal? The goal is not for me. The goal is for the music. And then when the music is produced, all the music comes back into our hearts and it blesses us and it fills us and it, and it feels good, right? But the goal is not you. The goal is not me. The goal is the music. And the music fills us and it strengthens us and it empowers us. What is the music? The glory of Jesus Christ. You giving of yourself into the glory of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. And when you give your part, I give my part, the Spirit says, now that's what I'm after. I want everybody putting their gift on the table, producing their thing, whatever it might be, as small as it might be, as big as it might be, as presentable as it might be, as non-presentable as it might be, whatever that might be, that you have made your part in the body of Christ. And then when everybody's doing that, spirit, chemical reaction of power and joy and peace and love and hearts being full and all of us benefiting from the whole, contributing to the whole body and that's what i believe a healthy church body produces a powerful witness in our community when you and i are saturated in that spirit presence that all of us are contributing to and i'm rambling y'all get it 
All right, I'm trying to unpack this. But there's also an uncomfortable dependability for you to walk with the Spirit. It's not just you being out in the middle of nowhere and seeing the sky and being beautiful. Of course you have those moments. But the primary way you walk with the Spirit is in the fellowship of the saints. Because the Spirit says, you have one gift. You're not the whole picture. And I don't do the whole picture with you outside the body. I give the rest of the body the gifts to give to you and minister to you through that. So when you're sitting here listening to me, exercising a gift God has given me, by the way, I had no idea how to use it, but I'm starting to learn it, and I'm doing it. But I'm doing it for your benefit. And as you sit under a teaching, you're going, I'm, the Spirit is blessing me in many ways um, through him just giving his, putting his gifts there. And you need to do the same thing in your way, in your role in the church. Okay, this is the one I've been given. Yours is just as, more, just as important. It's just as valuable. And it's, I, there's only one piece of the puzzle. You have other pieces. And all the pieces have to be for us to see the fullness of the Spirit minister in the body of Christ. Amen? Which means every single one of us is dependent on all of the other of us to experience this. And if only a few of us are doing it, a whole bunch of the whole body suffers. And when the whole body suffers, some of the people who are involved in it also are not reaping the full benefits of all of us doing it. I hope that makes sense. We're dependent on each other. Next, uncomfortable vulnerability. When you live in the community of faith that the Bible calls for, one of the most uncomfortable factors you're going to run into, and it's going to happen early, is you are going to have your flaws seen. You're going to show that you have a temper at the barbecue. And you've got brothers and sisters around you that go, oh, okay. <laughs> and you're going to go, okay, I lost my temper a little bit, but that's not like me. And everybody goes, mm-hmm. It's all right. You're in the right place. But you know what else is going to happen? You're going to run into our flaws. And you're going to see my flaws. And I'm going to see your flaws. When you're walking in this type of community, you're going to find out Everybody's got something that they're struggling with or some quirky thing or something they are trying to overcome in themselves by the power of the Spirit. And guess what they need? They need all the other people filled with the Spirit, gifting them to help them with their flaw, just like you need help with your flaw. And if we're all a family and we start looking at flaws and you go, oh, I'm looking at flaws all over the place, man. I ain't sticking around here. Well, guess what? You just detached yourself from the plan of God in your life. That is his method. And when you start seeing flaws in other people, guess what happens? You, you are beginning to learn what it is to love the way Jesus loves. To see a person with their flaws and all and still love them with a covenant love. I'm here for you, flaws and all. You know marriage, how that works, right? You play the dating game and you put your best foot forward and you're always on your best behavior and you're dating and you're winning her over and you did all the things right and then you get married. And then she's never out of your sight and what happens then? She sees all the things you were hiding at that, up to that point. And here's the beauty of covenant. In the covenant, you get the opportunity to go, you know what? I took all the chips off the table. I am in a covenant with you. I see that flaw, and I'm totally yours. I'm not going anywhere, and neither are you. That flaw is my flaw, too. And we're owning it together. That's covenant. That's covenant. And that's beautiful. 
And that's the law, that's the covenant that God has with us. I see all your flaws. I see them past, present, future, right now, everything you're struggling with, I see it all. I see you more than you see you, and I see all the sin, and I see it all, and it's horrible. But you know what? In covenant with Christ, I see you, and I take all of you, and I'm here for you, and I'll never go away, and I forgive you for all of it, and you can't get rid of me, and I'm not going to get rid of you, and that's never going to happen. That's covenant. You see, you know what you're free to do? You're free to be yourself. You're free to go, okay, yeah, I have a flaw, and I want that dealt with. And the way I I can be more vulnerable when I'm in covenant, that's why it's important that we have church covenant with each other. That's why it's important for you to submit to a church covenant and go, I'm in. I'm in. And I'm not going to run the first time someone annoys me or irritates me or hurts me. No, I'm in. And when someone does hurt me, I'm going to let them know they hurt me, and I hope they apologize. If they apologize, I'm going to forgive them, and we're going to reconcile. Talk about uncomfortable. Wouldn't you rather just avoid it? You should go home and go go to another church. I'm just going to go with another group of people that don't, don't hurt me or don't annoy me or don't irritate me or whatever it might be. We can do all of that and we can begin to circumnavigate the plan God has for us through that. Uh, where was I? Uncomfortable vulnerability. You want New Testament community? You really want the pathway of Christ that's going to feel very, you're going to feel very vulnerable at times. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's the way of Christ. And man, I'm going to tell you, it's the pathway to healing. Uh, Think about parents and your kids. When your kids are at each other's throat and they are really hurting one another in bad, bad ways. And you know they don't even want to be around each other. And you feel grief from that, right? But how does your heart feel when they do the hard task and they finally come and they go, I hurt you by saying that and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And then they say, I hurt you by saying this. Will you please forgive me? And they hug. But what do they have to do? They got to come and say, I'm sorry. They have to say, I forgive you. I don't want to forgive you. I want you to pay. I want you to pay big time. I want you to pay double what I paid because you hurt me. I want you to pay. But no, I forgive you. And I'm staying. And I'm in this. And, and that, that thing of reconciliation is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it should happen all the time in the church. It should be the one place where people can reconcile and heal with one another in a supernatural way more than any other place on the earth. It should be the place. And then lastly, uncomfortable accountability. You see, when you're in the church... When you follow Christ and he brings you into his family, it's not all about you. Now you belong to others. I belong to Christ supremely, and then I belong to his people, the church. And so that shapes everything in my decision-making all through the week, all in my life. I belong to Christ, and I belong to these people, and I represent them. It's the same way, parents, when kids leave the house and they go to school that day. Their behavior at school is not a separate island of things that they choose to do separate than your home. No, they represent your home at school. And when they misbehave at school, they come home and they're held accountable by their actions at school. Why? Because they represent this family, right? We are the family of God. And each of our lives is not to our own. Each of our lives is to Christ supremely and to one another secondarily. But it's just as important, and it shapes who we are and our identity, that this is our family, and my behavior in my life is not my own as well. 
My behavior in my life is accountable to my family. And my family holds me accountable. And I'm a part of holding other family members accountable, but we're all accountable to Christ together. There's accountability here, but guess what? We don't like that. In America, if we aren't careful, we can breathe that in, right? As believers, we, you know, mind your own business. You know, it's my life, I'll do as I please. How many times do you hear that? You know, another quote that kind of touches on this is, you know what, you have to do what's right for you and what's best for your happiness. You've got to forget what other people, you know. You've got to do what's best for you and your happiness. You put that aside when you come to the body of Christ in Christ. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you also belong to his family. Now, that's not to say that we're going to come in and govern every aspect of your life, but there is a sense of community that you belong to that holds you accountable to certain things that the Bible says to hold you accountable to. And all of that is a part of the Christian community, and it's, it's a uh, 101 aspect of it. But there's an uncomfortableness to that. So I'll, com- I'll conclude with this. The very nature of the church is perhaps continued experiences that are uncomfortable. But it's not just uncomfortable to, for uncomfortable sake. No. When you are focused on Christ, he is going to take you through some uncomfortable things, call you into uncomfortable uh, existence in the family, and there are going to be repeated uncomfortable moments where Christ is taking you to something that's a greater, you're part of something greater than yourself, and the rewards are greater than you ever could get if you made comfort your goal. It's all in the body of Christ. But if you make goal, the comfort your main goal, You'll never make it. It's not even something we should factor into the paradigm, according to the illustrations before. So let me ask you a couple of questions, and I'll close. Does the diversity of the body cause you to want to say to another person or people, I don't need you? You're a little charismatic for me. You're a little too cerebral for me. What, what is it for you? Have you ever had that attitude well up in your heart? Well, let's submit that to the Holy Spirit today. Let's ask him to guide us in that. Are you ever tempted to think down on certain people and think the church would be better off if they weren't around? Has that ever welled up in your heart? Let's submit that to the Lord. Does the church feel uncomfortable and cause you to say, I don't need you because of flaws being exposed in your life? Or you see flaws in others. And it's tempting for you to say, I don't need you. I would rather have the comfort of not dealing with that. Does accountability, the kind of accountability the New Testament talks about, make you uncomfortable to the degree that you say, I don't need you. I don't need you. Let's take these things to the Spirit of God this morning and say, Lord, even the attitudes of my heart, if they've been along those lines, help me. Just say, help me, because I know we've all had these. I have had these. Uh, And yet the fullness of the body of Christ and the love of his saints can't be fully experienced with these kind of attitudes in our heart. Amen? So let's just take it to the Lord. Let's let him have it. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. And, Lord, I just uh, thank you for your word. And, um, Holy Spirit, 
when we align with you and we bring even the attitudes of the hearts to you, uh, you minister and you produce power in your church with your gospel. And Lord Jesus, um, you are the head, you are the master. And so lead us by your spirit in our hearts to be in unison on this and to receive you fully and to receive this word fully and, and enter in fully in, the, in, in our hearts and in our souls right where you would have us to be. And we do it for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit in his church, and for the witness of Christ on the earth through your church. We do it all for that sake. Take us where he wants to go and use us in ways you want to use us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me all across the room? Let's sing this song. Let's do business with the Lord as we sing. <laughs>